Hey, Love Tribe. Today's episode is brought to you by one of my personal favorites, Cozy Earth. They've got something special for all the mothers out there. So anyone who wants to shower the special woman in their lives with love and the comfort they deserve, listen up. Hands down, Cozy Earth has the best sheets, bedding, pajama sets, and more. So today, I'm excited to share that Relationship Advice listeners get an exclusive 35% off discount. Simply go to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code I do at checkout. The first time I tried their bamboo sheets, I was blown away. The comfort level is insane. I just love slipping into their seriously soft and cool sheets after a long day. And for a mom who knows that the struggle of sleep deprivation is real, Cozy Earth's temperature regulating technology has been a lifesaver. No more waking up sweating or freezing. But what really sold me is the quality of the bamboo sheets. They are by far the most comfortable sheets I have ever slept in. They are made to last years, which they have. I think at this point, I have about six sets of them. And they have a 100-night sleep-free trial and a 10-year warranty. So you know you're getting something that is going to stick around. So if you're ready to prioritize your sleep health and treat yourself or the mom in your life to the luxury she deserves, head on over to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code IDO for an exclusive 35% off. Because every mom deserves a good night's sleep, and with Cozy Earth, you can finally get the rest you need. Let's talk about a struggle many of us know all too well losing weight. Remember those days when everyone was on a juice cleanse or just basically hangry all the time? That was no fun for anyone. Well, there's a better, more sustainable way to shed those pounds. Today, I want to introduce you to Row Body. It's not your typical weight loss program. Instead of all the gimmicks, they offer access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. But here's the real deal. They pair these shots with simple lifestyle changes, helping you lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Plus, over 200,000 people have already seen results with Robody. So what sets Robody apart? The support. They handle all the insurance stuff for you and give you access to a provider whenever you need them. And the best part, you can sign up online from home, no doctor's appointments and no waiting rooms. Say goodbye to those days of hangry juice cleanses. With Robody, losing weight is straightforward and sustainable. Take that first step today and say hello to a healthier, happier you. Kickstart your weight loss journey the right way and head to ro.co slash do. That's ro.co slash I-D-O. Sign up today for just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Remember, medication costs are separate. That's row.co slash I do. I do podcast episode 34. Welcome to IDoPodcast.com, where fun and inspiring relationship experts, therapists, and couples share tips and advice that will help lead you to a fulfilling and happy relationship. Let their guidance illuminate your path to happiness. Are you ready to create lasting love? And now, your hosts, Chase and Sarah. Do you have a topic that you'd like to hear more about or a relationship question you'd like answered? 
Email us at info at idopodcast.com and we'll be sure to add it to one of our upcoming episodes. We're excited to introduce our guest today, Dr. Renee Peltz-Dennison. Hi, Dr. Dennison. How are you today? Hi, I'm good. How are you guys? We're doing great. Thanks for coming on the show today. Oh, you're very welcome. Dr. Dennison is currently an assistant professor of psychology at St. Mary's College of Maryland. She received her BA in psychology from Kenyon College and her MA and PhD in family studies and human development from the University of Arizona. Dr. Dennison is an active member in the National Council for Family Relations, the International Association for Relationship Research, and the Society for Research on Adolescence, and Society for the Study of Emerging Adulthood. Dr. Dennison's research interests focus on newlywed couples in emerging adulthood ages 18 to 29. We have given our listeners just a little overview, so take a minute, tell us about yourself and why you enjoy helping people improve their relationships. Uh, well, thank you, first of all, for having me here. Um, I do a lot of teaching and a lot of research around emerging adulthood and around relationships. Um, I first actually got interested in this topic uh, when I was in high school. I took an AP class in psychology, um, and I was really interested in the question of, um, if your parents divorced, can you have a successful marriage yourself? Um, as a 13-year-old, I read sort of all of the statistics about all the negative effects of a parental divorce on a child. and. You know, I sort of extrapolated that out to looking ahead to my life in terms of college and um, relationships and marriage and beyond. Um, and so in graduate school, I focused on the effects of divorce on adolescents and young adults. Um, and then with my dissertation, I uh, took that a step further to look at the effects of uh, your family of origin or the family you grew up with on your current marriage if you're a newlywed. So that's really where my interest centers. Um, and I do think it is important um, for couples as yourself entering into marriage to really think carefully about what they want out of marriage. And so hopefully that's where I can help today. Yeah, that's why we're so excited to have you on. And we're definitely going to learn a lot. And I, I know our listeners will as well. Great. Sounds good. Well, our topic today is we're going to focus in on your research study, the role of couple discrepancies in cognitive and behavioral egalitarianism in marital quality. Mm -hmm. Can you boil that down into some more non-scientific <laughs> language for our listeners? Sure. Sure, I'd be happy to. So cognitive uh, egalitarianism is essentially your attitudes about what you think uh, should be happening in your marriage. And the way we measured it was similar to what you would think of as gender roles. So do you have a more traditional gender role attitude where you think potentially the wife should do the bulk of the household work and the male should be the breadwinner? Um, or do you have a more sort of egalitarian gender role attitude and where you think that you and your spouse, you know, regardless of gender, should be sharing um, the housework equally? So that's what cognitive uh, egalitarianism and behavioral egalitarianism is essentially what actually happens in your house. So we gave our uh, newlywed couples a scale of different items, um, and I'll give you an example. I can get to that page. Different items like um, who decides what chores need to be done, who cooks the meals, who does the grocery shopping, who washes the dishes. Uh, things like that, and we asked them to respond on a five-point scale, uh, one being 
I almost always do, three would be we do equally, and five would be my partner almost always does. So essentially what we were looking at in this article is comparing uh, husbands and wives' attitudes about what they expected or wanted out of a marriage in terms of the roles, um, and then what actually happens in their marriage in terms of the roles. Wow, well, that's interesting. And I, I'm sure a lot of husbands and wives or partners come across this issue in, in terms of who should be doing what in the relationship and the best way to resolve these issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's one of the, the biggest issues in terms of the adjustment to marriage. I get the question a lot of whether being married is different than living together, um, or dating, you know, like it's not going to be that different people. Some people expect that things will change a lot. And some people think that it won't change at all. Um, And what I tell them is even if you have been together for a long time, um, if you haven't cohabitated or if you haven't intentionally like committed to having your life together, then you haven't gone through this step of sort of practically figuring out who's in charge of what and who's going to do what and how much they're going to do. Um, And I think that that's an important step in creating a satisfying marriage for both partners. Absolutely. And what did you find in your study? What was the conclusion? Um, Well, uh, not unsurprisingly, we found that for both husbands and wives, um, they had lower marital quality when their um, cognitive egalitarianism was discrepant from their partner. So if husbands and wives had different ideas about gender roles and who should be doing what, it affected both of them in terms of their self-report of the quality of their marriage. Um, what we found, though, is that that discrepancy had a greater influence on wives' reports of marital quality, um, and it especially influenced wives who had a higher um, cognitive egalitarianism. So wives who felt that chores should be shared equally um, had sort of the worst outcomes if their partner did not agree with them on that. Absolutely. And like so many things, it comes down to communication, I feel like, on this issue is if the wife feels that way, communicating that to the husband if he is not behaving in the way that she feels. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And it's important too, I think, uh, what we looked at with both cognitive and behavioral is to think about not only what you expect to happen or what you would like to happen or what is your ideal uh, role in a marriage, but also what's actually happening and how that compares to what you expected. So I think it's interesting to think about both of those things as being important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like like it's one thing to talk, but what's going on in, in practice? Exactly, exactly. And it's difficult sometimes. I think, you know, if you asked most young couples today, they would probably report that they think that things should be equal. But saying that you think that things should be spread equally and then actually having things divided up equally are two different things. Um, And especially for the husbands, um, traditionally wives did more household labor, and even though husbands are doing more labor uh, in the house than their fathers did, for example, um, there's a lot of studies to support uh, the conclusion that women are still doing the bulk of the household labor, sometimes called the second shift, where the bulk of women are working outside the home, and then the bulk of women are also taking on the majority of the household labor after they've already worked, you know, outside the home, the second shift. Mm -hmm. Um, So for males, especially in marriages, it's easy to say, I think things should be equal, and then also I'm happy with not having to do the dishes, you know, because Mm -hmm. you're sort of benefiting from that. And it's sometimes um, easy, I think, 
when you make a transition to marriage or when you have a child, for example, to sort of passively let things slip back into imbalance. I think, you know, the, the default is for it to be a woman's job. And so I think actively thinking about um, how you can divide things fairly or, or equally, if that's what you would like, um, is important to not just let it sort of slip back into one person doing more. Yeah, and, and communicating that. And then so many of our experts, we talk about having a meeting or someone used the term, coined the term state of the union, where you convene. And that seems like a situation where if you start to slip back towards where the wife is handling all this, all the chores, but you never sort of check in uh, with each other, then that can just grow and get worse and worse. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely important for the wife to communicate how she's feeling about the situation. Because again, the the husband may be happy with the situation. He might not even know what the wife is doing or how much time she's putting into it. So for example, my husband and I had a lot of conversations early in our marriage about the time and the effort it takes to plan things. Because at first when we divided things, it was sort of like, I'll do the laundry and you do the garbage, you take out the garbage and we'll be good. But um, once you have a you know a marriage and you are handling um, issues with in-laws, and then especially once you have kids, there's a lot of planning that has to go in it. Mm-hmm. So like who is in charge of the family calendar and who sets up doctor's appointments? Those things all take time and effort to plan, but there's not like a product that you can show someone. Like if you fold a whole um, load of laundry, you have a laundry basket full of clean clothes, like, look, here's what I did. But if you're the one sort of behind the scenes planning and keeping things moving smoothly, if things are moving smoothly, no one really notices all the work that you do for that. Right. Absolutely. So my husband and I had a lot of talks about um, me expressing to him how much time and effort, you know, I put into that. And so, and and having him understand and and sort of respect that. Mm. And even when it comes to timing, doing laundry versus taking out the trash, sometimes laundry can take a couple hours and trash is... (laughs) can be done in a couple of minutes. So yeah. dividing up that time equally is important too. Yeah. I have to tell you that is probably the worst um, deal I have ever made in my life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my husband is uh, 6'5", so he's not petite. Um, <laughs> and I was picturing laundry would be like once a week because when I just did my laundry, it was about once a week, um, his clothes are bigger and yeah. they don't uh, fit in the laundry um, as well in the washing machine. And so just his clothes alone are a, f- a couple times a week. And then once we had kids, I mean, I literally do laundry every day. Uh, and he's still, you know, we don't make that much more trash. So he still takes out the trash a couple times a week and that's it. And it's like two minutes, you know. So I think you need to yeah. do some negotiating on that one. <laughs> that, was, that was not a good deal. No, I should have. Uh, yeah, we we did renegotiate that one because that was... Um, not a good deal. <laughs> well, planning expectations about sharing chores and how they work out in the real life is important to discuss with your partner, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And when you have children, a lot of times those expectations can change. Yes, yes. Um, studies actually show that that's the the time in a, a marriage, especially sort of earlier in a marriage. Um, when you might have the lowest marital satisfaction because just the amount of household work goes up sort of for everything. Um, but it also is the time when, um, again, you're at risk of slipping back into more traditional roles because, 
you know, even if you're very progressive and you think that everyone should do everything equally, there are certain things that the father cannot do. Um, he cannot carry the baby, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, he can't um, deal with the labor pains. He can't um, breastfeed the baby. Um, so it takes sort of a really conscious effort to um, figure out what fathers and husbands can do and to feel good with that balance. Yeah, and that goes back to you know checking in and seeing how the other partner is dealing with the load and if it feels like it's imbalanced, communicating that and then doing something to fix it. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important before you enter these transitions, so before you get married and before you have children, to talk about what you both expect. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's possible if one person came from a very sort of traditional home that they would expect that the female would do the bulk of the work, and it's possible the other person doesn't expect that. So it's important to know before you make that tra- transition uh, what each person expects, and then you're absolutely right. I think it's important as you go along to check in about that. Are your expectations being met? Uh, is there something that's not meeting your expectations, or is there something that needs to be adjusted? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's interesting the study that you that you've done because it is so important. I think maybe a lot of times in a relationship, it's not like the primary thing that people think about necessarily, but it can become a, a huge issue. And clearly, that's probably part of the reason you guys embarked on this study. Yeah, absolutely. And expectations can change. Mm-hmm. Um, it is possible that your expectations could change over time. Uh, once you have a child, sometimes that triggers uh, more um, sort of thinking about what kind of parents your parents were and what kind of parent you want to be. Um, I think, you know, earlier in your life when you are uh, an emerging adult and you're sort of breaking out on your own, it's sort of easier to say, like, I'm going to do things differently and I'm going to have my own idea of what I'm going to do. and. Um, I'm not going to do it the way my parents did. Uh, but when you have your own child, you know, probably because of the sleep deprivation and, and mm-hmm. some of the, the time constraints, but also just because it gets you really thinking about when you were a child and what your parents did, sometimes people's expectations can change. Mm-hmm. Now that I have a child, I really do think it's important, you know, that someone stay home with a child or I do. I really do think it's important that um, I, as a mother, am able to work outside the home to set that example for my children um, so I think it's, you know, it's important to set your expectations and to talk about the initial match between your expectations, but it's also important to check in, um, especially after uh, transitions, like getting married or having a baby, about how your expectations may have changed and, you know, what the discrepancy might be between your expectations and how you can sort of meet in the middle on that. Yeah, and we were just talking about this before we started the interview about our roles in in our housework and things like that. And as much as I do a majority of the cleaning, he does the trash and the dishes and certain things, we have our roles. But it brought up when we have kids, my expectations is that that will change a little bit because he'll have a little bit more of the cleaning role and we'll have to switch things up differently. So it's definitely interesting how your expectations will change as, as life goes on. And it's difficult sometimes to foresee how much they will change. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I did not realize, even though my um, mother-in-law told me, did not realize how much more laundry I would be doing (laughs) um, with children than I did before. Because I'm like, they're teeny, they're little, you know, how much, they they don't have big clothes. That's not going to be an issue. But 
um, you know, they spit up and you change them frequently and, you know, you have to use different uh, laundry detergent for theirs than the other. So you can't just like throw it all in one big load. Mm -hmm. And um, so it did make a lot more laundry work. And so that's when I really started to think that my, you know, laundry slash taking out the trash deal was not a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there, and there were things I think that we got creative about sharing because there are certain things, you know, at first when we had our first child, he was colicky. And so there was a lot more, you know, sort of comforting, holding, calming down um, than we maybe anticipated. Um, and there was sort of an adjustment period. And we did have some times where my husband said, well, you know, you need to take care, you need to get him. If he's crying, you need to get him because I can't feed him. He wants to eat. That's all he wants. And you, mm -hmm. and only you can do that. Um, so we had to talk about, you know, what are other ways to calm him and when it might not be feeding and ways that he could take some of the burden off of me because uh, newborns uh, eat quite often. Mm -hmm. So uh, we had a deal where in the middle of the night, um, if we needed to do a night feeding when, when our son woke up in the middle of the night, uh, my husband would get up and bring him to the bed, and then I would feed him, and my husband would go back to sleep. And then when I was done, I would just kind of give him a little tap, and he would get up and take my son back to his crib. Um, so to mm. me, that seemed like a better yeah. deal than him just saying, it's all on you, right. you know? Especially since my husband can, like, get up and then fall asleep in, like, 30 seconds. <laughs> it takes me a lot longer to fall asleep. So yeah. that was a way that we split that up a little bit. And that's a great example of for our listeners of making a compromise, sharing the workload and communicating that there may be an issue and moving forward that way rather than having that maybe annoy you and then it's never addressed and it becomes this big thing and, and pressure on the relationship that just doesn't need to be there. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And sometimes it requires getting creative about how to divide things or how to think about things and Sometimes it's about really explaining in depth what the situation is. Yep. Uh, at the time, I felt very overwhelmed, um, you know, being a new mother and, and our child was colicky and, you know, breastfeeding takes a little while to adjust to. Um, and my husband obviously was not experiencing it the same way I was. So it took a little bit of creativity on my part to explain to him how I was feeling and to have him take some of the burden, even if he couldn't actually nurse our son. So. Hmm. Well, that's some awesome tips for our listeners and for us. We have our family, so that's awesome advice. Thank you. You're welcome. What do you find is the most common reason couples struggle in their relationship? Well, I don't do uh, clinical work with couples, so I can't really speak to um, that necessarily. But in terms of the research, I think the reason that uh, many couples struggle is because of their expectations going into the marriage and how um, their experience of being married either meets or does not meet their expectations. So I think that's why we did this research and why I'm sort of so interested in thinking about your expectations going into marriage. Um, I have, you know, some friends who went into marriage thinking that it's going to be wonderful, you know, having sort of the fairy tale. Um, idea in mind and marriage isn't necessarily, I mean, I don't want to say it's not wonderful. Of course it's wonderful. Um, but it is life. It's real life and it's not going to be a fairy tale. So I think if you have really unrealistic expectations, um, you're setting yourself up for failure in some ways. Um, on the other hand, you know, if you go in with really negative expectations, um, that's probably not setting yourself up for success either. 
So I think um, communicating your expectations and going in with realistic uh, but positive expectations is probably the best way to set yourself up for success. Great advice. Now we are going into the his and her round where Sarah and I each ask a question that's on our minds. Sarah's up first. Well, my question has to do with what we talked about earlier about expectations, yes, but about cohabitating prior to marriage and how that can affect the expectations. Do you have any research on couples who lived together versus couples that did not live together prior to marriage and and how those expectations were different and how it affected the relationship? Yes, actually, there's a lot of really interesting research on how cohabitation affects a marriage. I think the common understanding or the common conception is that cohabitating before you get married is a really good idea because I think people think about it like test driving a car. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't buy a car without test driving it first. So it only seems logical that you would live with someone before you would, you know, sort of get married and commit to living with them your whole life. Uh, But for a long time, researchers were actually finding the opposite, that couples who cohabitated were having much worse marital outcomes, lower marital satisfaction, and higher risk of divorce than couples who did not cohabitate. Um, So it's not often that the research findings completely contradict um, the sort of common understanding. So I think that those cases in particular are really interesting. Um, And as the research on cohabitation um, continued, I think it's a number of things. I think the first thing is that it's a selection effect. There are certain types of people who choose to cohabitate before they get married, and there are certain types of people who choose not to cohabitate before they get married. So people who are very religious, for example, are less likely to cohabitate before marriage. And there's likely something about being very religious that makes you think about and um, enact being a spouse very differently than Mm -hmm. if you were not very religious, for example. Um, But then there's also, I think, the issue of why you choose to cohabitate. So if you choose to cohabitate because you know that this is the person you want to spend the rest of your life with, but for whatever reason you don't want to get married right now, maybe the state you're in doesn't um, support gay marriage and that's important to you, or um, you want to save up money for your wedding or whatever it is, but you have made that commitment, you have decided to be life partners, uh, those couples have very similar outcomes to couples who don't cohabitate. So it doesn't have a huge effect on their outcomes. The couples, though, that sort of, they call it sliding, so deciding versus sliding. Mm -hmm. The couples that kind of slide into cohabitation, so maybe you're not sure you want to spend your life with this person, but your lease is up and you think it might be, you know, you spend the night at their house all the time, it might might as well live together, um, and you're sort of looking at it as a trial. Those people usually have uh, worse outcomes in marriage because if you think about it, um, if you weren't sure about the decision in the first place, Uh, Whatever made you unsure is probably not going to go away once you live with them. Um, And once you live with someone, you start to invest time and money and effort into that relationship. Mm -hmm. So the longer that you're with them, the longer that you're investing time and effort and money into that relationship, um, the less likely you are to just walk away from it because you have so much already invested in it. So um, I think it's better to go into a marriage uh, deciding, even mm-hmm. if whether you have cohabitated or not, to go in deciding that that's the person you want to spend your life with, rather than thinking about, oh, I've already put in so much time and effort, I can't imagine leaving them at this point. Oh, I guess we'll get married. Wow, that's really interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Does that answer the question? Oh yeah, definitely. 
I knew there was research behind it, but hearing that is it's uh, definitely very interesting. Great advice. Thank you. You're welcome. There's one other thing, too, that I wanted to mention, um, and there's less research on this, but uh, it's sort of anecdotal, and there's a little bit of research to back this up, that um, partners may think about their relationship differently once they get married. So, for example, my husband and I were engaged, and then we cohabitated when we were engaged, and he would play video games a lot. And at that point, I thought, well, he likes video games. That's fine. It's his game. It's his time. Go ahead. Play video games. Uh, But when we got married, it was sort of like our time now. Uh, So I thought about it differently. Um, You know, his mother would call and sort of like now she's part of my family too. Um, And when he would play video games, he wasn't doing things like the dishes. And I would think about, well, somebody has to do the dishes. So since you're playing video games, now I have to do the dishes. Um, So for me, and and I don't think I'm alone in this, Uh, Some people think about things differently once they get married. It's sort of a shift in your mindset that like now we are a unit and between us we're in charge of these things. So it's not your time and my time or it's not your money and my money. It's our time and our money. Um, So we had to talk about some of the things like when we cohabitated didn't bother me at all. But then once we were married and sort of building towards common goals, we had to have a talk about um, some of the ways that both of us spent our time and money. So it's really goes back to communication and communicating those expectations. Yep, absolutely. That's great advice for us getting married later this year. (laughs) Yeah. Well, my question is, we've established that dividing household tasks definitely can affect marital satisfaction. And how are men and women different in this process that you found? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Um, There are some gender differences, I think, in how uh, males and females think about household chores and divide them up. Um, So historically, we talked about how females uh, were more likely to do household chores. Uh, Females are more likely to uh, multitask, for example. So they're more likely to, you know, put in a load of laundry and then do dishes and be watching their child at the same time. Uh, whereas males are less likely to multitask. So when you're calculating how much time each person spends, um, you need to think about whether you're going to calculate, you know, just sort of the the absolute time, like an hour, mm-hmm. or if you're going to count it sort of separately. So like I did the dishes, I did the laundry, and I took care of the child for an hour, you know, but those are sort of three separate tasks. Mm-hmm. So that's one way I think that males and females think about it differently. Um, Another way that they might think about it differently is they might have different reference groups. So when females are thinking about whether or not their household chores are divided equally, they're most likely thinking about what they do versus what their husband does. And so um, they'll be thinking about the balance in terms of that. Um, Sometimes husbands might think about uh, what they're doing and whether it's fair in terms of comparing themselves to their friends who are husbands and who are married or to their fathers who that might be their biggest sort of role model for how to be a husband and a father. Um, And we know that those sort of um, ideals of egalitarianism are changing over time. So it's very likely that you could be a husband who is doing much more uh, work around the house and childcare than your father did, and even much more than your friends, but you're still not doing as much as your wife does. So those are two ways to think about, you know, whether it's fair, um, And you need to be careful. I mean, I think egalitarian is a good word for it rather than equal. 
because it's really difficult to figure out, you know, what is exactly equal. And keeping score of every little thing is not a good way to sort of approach making it fair. Um, But I think egalitarian speaks to that you both feel like you are um, taking on about the same amount and responsible for about the same amount and that you feel that there's sort of a good balance there, that it matches your expectations and it matches, you know, also practical concerns and, you know, people's strengths and weaknesses. So egalitarian doesn't actually mean, you know, perfectly equal, but it does mean well-balanced, I think. That's uh, great information. And a little bit of a, a follow-up on that. How much do you think is attributed to uh, our evolutionary sort of underpinnings of the gender roles? And maybe women are obviously culturally, but evolutionary, did, is that a factor in your research at all? Um, that's not something that I really focus on uh, in my research. If anything, I'd probably take a more sort of feminist perspective uh-huh. on those issues. But most things in life are not sort of one or the other. So when I teach classes and we talk about nature versus nurture, um, it's never just nature and it's right. never just nurture. Mm-hmm. It's both of those and it's also how they interact. So, for example, for marriage, um, I don't think that the evolutionary, you know, potential evolutionary differences make Um, that much of a difference in how you go about your marriage. I think both partners need to be cognizant of the other one's needs and they need to be aware of their expectations and you need to sort of spread the work out equally. That's my opinion, at least. Um, But when you get to things like having children, um, that's when nature might play a bigger role, you know? So you can't just, my husband and I would joke about this, but before we had kids, we would just sit down and like divide things up and decide who would do what. Um, And then when I was pregnant and I was like nine months pregnant and really uncomfortable, I would say, okay, I'm really uncomfortable. Like you carry this baby now (laughs) and I'll just like go take a break, you know? Um, So we would joke about how there, you know, just naturally there are some things that you cannot um, divvy up the way that you would like. Um, So I think, you know, it plays a a larger role sometimes, but overall I think probably culture um, and our understandings of gender and gender roles probably play the biggest part in how we divide things up in our marriage. Absolutely. Well, now it's time for our favorite part of the interview, the lasting love round. We'll ask you a series of questions and you'll respond with great information to help set the foundation for a lasting relationship. We love it. Our listeners love it. So, Dr. Dennison, are you ready to help us build lasting love? I sure am. Great. What's one thing couples can do on a daily basis to help improve their relationship? Well, I'm going to cheat a little bit and give two things. Uh, The first thing, I think, is uh, some of the research by John Gottman and others um, talks about having a good balance in your relationship of positive versus negative interactions. So you're going to fight sometimes, and you're going to have negative interactions sometimes. I think that that is inevitable. But if every day you can think about sort of it as an account and balancing it out to the positive, So for every time that you criticize or that you have an issue, if you could pay like two or three compliments to sort of balance that out, then you'll always come out on the positive side at the end of the day. So just little things like I like your outfit or I like how you look today or did I have, you know, have I told you today I love you, things like that can help sort of balance you out on the positive side. Um, The other thing is sort of what we've been talking about all along, um, which is being sure to check in about your expectations and if they're being met and if they're not, Talk about that. 
Is there a book or resource you can recommend for couples? Um, yes, I thought about this. Um, and I think one of the best resources that couples can do, um, one of the best resources that they can use is uh, an inventory. It's called the Prepare Enrich Couple Assessment. Um, and that is sort of a structured way for people who are thinking about getting married to um, explicitly talk about their expectations and their past experiences in a number of different areas. So it is sort of designed to help you uh, explore your strengths as a couple, so areas where you might have high agreement or very similar experiences from your family of origin, and then areas where you might need growth. So if one person thinks that you should have a joint bank account and the other person thinks you should always have separate bank accounts, obviously that's somewhere that you need to sort of grow together and think about. Mm. Um, It also helps you establish and uh, explore your family of origin issues and the patterns that were set by your families and your experiences and how those might feed into your current marriage um, and then establish sort of personal goals and goals as a couple and as a family. Um, So that's usually something that, I mean, I think you can take it online. There is a website, um, but can also be something that's incorporated into premarital counseling. So there are uh, many premarital counselors, um, ministers, or um, counselors who are certified to help you as a couple discuss that. So you would each separately take this inventory, and then they would get a report about how you match or don't match on those different issues, and that would help you facilitate a discussion on some of the things that you might not think to talk about uh, when you're getting married. Parenting styles, for example, is something that many newlyweds don't consciously think about discussing, but it obviously becomes a very big issue sort of later on in your relationship when you have children. Well, that's some great information. And that assessment, we'll have that information on our website at idopodcast.com. And that will be on your show notes page so our listeners know to go there to find your awesome recommendations. We're getting married this year. Is there any advice you would give engaged couples or newlyweds? Um, Well, I actually think that you guys are um, setting a great example because you're really consciously thinking about uh, what it means to get married and what it means to be successful in marriage. I read a little bit on your website about um, how you looked for sort of resources on this and a lot of the resources for people getting married or for how to plan the wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the bigger issue is how to plan your marriage. Right. So absolutely mm-hmm. you should be, you know, thinking about those things and going in with a plan and with your eyes open. So that would be my suggestion for newlywed couples um, or for engaged couples to take uh, your lead and follow your example and really sort of think consciously about these issues before they get married. Great. Well, thank you. You're welcome. If you could give just one single piece of advice for a successful relationship, what would it be? Um, I think it would be um, to think consciously about your marriage. Um, Don't just slide into it. Don't slide into cohabitating. Don't slide into getting married. Think consciously about it. What do you want from a marriage? What does your partner want from a marriage? And, um, you know, check in on those things frequently. You've given us just some awesome advice. I know that we are really going to be able to put and use into our relationship as well as our listeners. So we really enjoyed hearing all that and thank you. And let's finish by having you tell our listeners where they can find you and then we'll say goodbye. Okay, wonderful. Um, Listeners can find me um, over email at rpdennison at smcm.com and I will have the website coming soon. Great. Awesome. Well, we'll put those links on our website as well. 
Um, I also am starting a blog, um, a Psychology Today blog um, that will start in June. Great. Well, whenever you have that up and running, send us that link and we'll be more than happy to put that up. Okay, great. And our listeners know that they can find all the information and links of today's episode on idopodcast.com. Go to the podcast tab and you'll be in the archives. And thank you again so much for all the generous knowledge and for taking the time to come on our show today. You're very welcome. It was a pleasure talking with you. Are you interested in learning five ways to improve your relationship on a daily basis? How about five tips for engaged couples or newlyweds? This information and more is our free gift to you when you go to idopodcast.com and subscribe to our mailing list. Thank you so much for joining us today on I Do Podcast. Head on over to idopodcast.com for full recaps of every show, relationship resources, tips, and advice. Your path to a successful and lasting relationship awaits you. Are you ready to create lasting love? You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com.